Good evening and welcome everyone back to the Manny Talk Shooting Podcast. It's a podcast from me to you, interviewing anyone I want to in the shooting industry. And today I am honored to have the newest member of Team Anderson Shooting, Mark Sue. Mark, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am having a wonderful night. It's been a good day and now I'm on a podcast talking to you about shooting stuff. So it makes it a great evening. Yes, it is. We are, for record, we are recording this on the 6th of March. I mean, they sometimes come up kind of close to when they record, so I preface that with the time, guys. All right, so, Mark, first question for you tonight, sir. Shoot. Who are you, and how did you get into shooting, sir? Oh, man. Okay, so my name is Mark Sue. I am a... I've been in the sport longer than anyone else on the Anderson shooting team, which is both good and bad. And, and I'm also probably the oldest member of the Anderson shooting team. Um, I'm 37. I'll be th- turning 38 this year. So I got involved in USPSA or competition shooting back in 2010. So it's not quite 11 years because it was uh, like October. My first match. But I did it because um, I grew up in New York and guns were basically a thing that uh, you, you really didn't do much of. But my, my, get, my dad had a pistol, and he, ta- he taught me the safety rules, but we, we almost never shot it, maybe once a year. I always thought they were cool, but he had to go through a bunch of hoops and legal stuff to be able to own and keep his, his firearm, and we couldn't even shoot it in the state, really. It was too much of a hassle. So when I moved out here um, after college um, in Oregon, uh, I live in Oregon now, and I found out that you could not only just buy a handgun once you were a legal resident and pass a background test, but you could also um, get a license to carry it. I was blown away. So I went out, promptly, legally bought my first firearm, got my own um, concealed handgun license, and carried my, a handgun around for a year. And then a year later into it, I've, I said, hold on, self, you don't even know how to shoot this thing. Um, you can barely hit anything with it. Why don't you go and learn how to use it? So I took a couple of defensive classes, um, basic handgun skills, um, more intermediate level handgun skill stuff. I sucked. I, I could barely hit anything. But one of the instructors said something. He said, if you want to learn how to shoot well, go and compete. So I found a local shooting club in my town, and I just showed up one day at one of their outlaw steel matches and shot it. And of course, I finished near the bottom of the bracket. I was using my little three-inch 1911, compact 1911, and 9mm. I could barely hit anything with it. But I finished the match, and I had a blast. So since then, I've, been, I've jumped into the sport, and, um, and you know, the, the, the rest is, <laughs> is kind of history. But that's how I kind of got into shooting. Um, now, do you remember what make and model that was? It's a Springfield 9mm uh, uh, EMP. I still have it. Great gun. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen one of those in person, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And what drew you to that 1911 when you first got into carrying? I first started carrying a 4-inch like service size XD, right? Okay. In 9mm. Okay. And that was like a brick. You know, you're, you're carrying a brick around with you. Because it's not, it's, it's, yeah, it's got a long grip. It's not, um, it, it's blocky. It's sharp and angled. And I didn't know any better. I carried did that for say, a year. Did it say grip zone? <laughs> no, no, no. This is before that. This is the old, 
I don't think you understand how long ago this in the oh, shooting. So was. that's the the good the XDs before they got really expensive. Then right? Yes. And yes. The, these, these are the imports. Yep. Yep. The imports. Um, they had just come on the market, and everyone thought it was a new thing, the new hotness. So um, I got one. I shot it in competition for a while. I carried it. No, no, no. I shot it my first couple competitions. But um, I bought the 1911 because it, there were no back then. There were no slim nine millimeter uh, pistols out there. It was basically just the 19, the Springfield EMP, and the Walter PPS was all that I could find. There was like the car, but that was a double action gun, and I said screw that. Um, so there, you know, none of the stuff, the shield, the um, the bodyguard series, all these slim Glocks that everyone's making, none of that existed back then. Those were the only ones that were around. So I. I ponied up and got the, the 1911. Awesome. I don't see anything wrong with that besides that. I mean, did, well, did it have, was it prone to failures? It was. I had to send it back to, to Springfield, but they made it right. Um, they, they, I, they didn't charge me a thing. They paid shipping and everything. They tweaked it a bit, and it's been flawless ever since. So you said you've taken some defensive pistol classes when you first started, and then you started competing. Um, what other... Formal training have you taken besides those, if any? In competition or in like shooting like in general? Um, so in competition, um, a couple of years in, yeah, I had just made master class. So this was 2000, maybe early 2013, 2012, late 2012, something like that. I made production master, I think, about two years in. So this might have been 2013. I took a class with Manny Bragg, um, and he he did a great he taught a great class. Uh, opened my eyes to some some cool things about trigger press and about movement. Um, a couple years later, I took a class with Bob Vogel, which was also excellent. And that guy can do some things with a gun that I I like blink. And first of I'm like first of all, I'm amazed that you could do that. Second of all, why would you even try to do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm talking like. Like he's teaching us how to shoot swingers, right? So he puts mm -hmm. a swinger up, it's a, and it's a side revealing swinger. So it's obscured vertically, you know, and to the right. So it has to pass the fifty, um, the the vertical way, vertically before you can see it. Does that make sense? Yes. You see half of it. You see half of it. So he sets up a swinger that way, and he says, "Okay, I'm going to teach you how to shoot swingers." So the swinger is going to come out, and you have three um, exposures, and your goal is to get as many headshots on it as you can. Right. And this is this is not like a, a close swinger. This is like a 12 yard swinger. Right. And I'm like, you're crazy. Why are you shooting headshots on a swinger? He says, well, because I want to teach you how to shoot swingers. Here, I'll show you. He pulls a swinger and the thing and the thing comes out. and He's like, bam, 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 bam. And like he had like 14 or 15 hits on the head, you know, as it's being exposed. <laughs> Stuff like that. I, I, I mean, I guess it'll teach you how to shoot swingers, I guess. Yep. Yes, it would. I mean, that's. Oof. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking about getting myself a swinger, but I don't know if I'm going to do headshots all day on swingers. I've never, I've, since that class, I've never tried to shoot a headshot on a swinger. I mean, sh I, if I was going to see that, it'd probably be Shannon Smith trying to do that at some match. I'm going to mm -hmm. give you the whole a head zone of this USPSA on a swinger. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. But so, okay, so then I took, a, I took that Bob Vogel class. And that was probably 2014 or 15. And, since, and after that, I kind of entered my, my down phase, which I, I guess I could tell you about. Um, I could tell you about later. 
And I didn't take another class until Steve Anderson in 2020. So that's my competition training. Um, in the defensive world, I've taken, I'm, I'm like a, I, I teach concealed handgun classes. I'm a certified force on force instructor and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. I see, I didn't even know that about you. So, yeah, there well. you go. Now I know. But um, that's great. Um, how many students do you normally see in a in a year? Um, last year I probably taught one, two, three, four, five. Uh, between fifty and seventy students. I'm not. It's it's a it's a very much a side gig. Side side gig. Yeah. I mean, at least I'm I'm glad you're teaching them, because more everyone needs to be get go get their license. Well, I don't believe we should have to have licenses, but I believe you should, if you're able to go get your license. And... I do it for safety's sake. I want people to be um, safe mm-hmm. and con confident and competent. Yeah. Because I, there's there's tons of people out there running around with a concealed handgun, um, and have no idea on how to use it, and I don't want them shooting me. <laughs> If something bad was to happen, you know? Yes. So. And you always see these terrible memes on the internet about those types of people who don't have the training that mm-hmm. are the ones who are underneath their car with their weapon mounted light looking for their <laughs> keys with their gun. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so go ahead and tell me about your doubt, your, your slump, your from 2015 to 2020. What was up with that? Okay. So um, I started in 2010 mm-hmm. and practiced as much as I could. And back in 2010, there weren't really any resources. Like and- Steve Anderson had written refinement repetitions slightly before that, I think. Um, and uh, Brian Enos's book was out. But back when I started, there wasn't much beyond that. It was all I, I was trying to learn everything from like posts on on Enos's forum and, you know, a smattering of YouTube videos, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, because this was the forum days. I remember uh-huh. the forum days, but I was never not part of that forum. But I remember when forums were big. This is when, like, before Facebook was really a thing. Mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah. I, under, I understand, listeners, you might not know what a forum is. So Google it. Find <laughs> out what a forum was. Essentially, yeah. it's a bunch of different chats and whatnot on certain topics that people have specified out. I mean, they're pretty cool. I think Enos is still around. I don't have a member. I don't have a login on Enos, but I'm assuming it's still there. Yep. Enos was, was the source for information. Um, and in, if you wanted to get some laughs, you go to Duty Project, which was Stager's um, kind of, uh, I don't know, stomping ground. <laughs> it was really funny. So anyway, um, so 2010 to 2012, I practiced pretty hard. Um, and it was all kind of stumbling about learning my own way, um, just figuring stuff out. Made master class in production. And then um, kind of, I took my class with Manny Bragg, and then I was like, you know, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this. Uh, I think I'm going to switch divisions. I also, and that was also the year my, my first son was born. So um, I switched divisions. I, I, I jumped to open. I shot open for two years, and I made master class in open between 2013 and 2015. And then my open gun broke, and <laughs> I went back to production, and uh, I had my second kid. And after that, I kind of stopped practicing um and 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 when i say stop practicing like i mean i did zero dry fire i would i I could probably count on one hand 
how many times I dry fired a year um, between 2015 and 2019. Okay. Um, and um, I, I would go live fire. I shot several thousand rounds a year. Um, but, but so I was able to not let my skills degrade. I would say I didn't make any progress those years. What I did do was I jumped hard into match directing. Um, so my, my full investment in the shooting sports was in match directing. So I've put on um, uh, the Oregon State Championship every year at my local range. I run my, my local club. Um, I put on monthly matches. So I, that, that match I shot at this morning was my local match. And um, built up a pretty good, you know, pretty, pretty big into the shooting community up here in, in Oregon. Um, you know, I know all the guys. I know all the match directors. We're friends. I know the range masters in the area all the ROs, we, we have a lot of fun together putting on matches. So, I, so most of those years I spent um, putting on the best matches that I could, you know, level two matches, majors, that kind of stuff. And um, that went on until my last son was born in uh, 2017. Um, and I started like, he, well, you know, when, when you have a kid, it, you know, they're born, but then it takes a couple of years to get out before they start sleeping through the night and, and all that stuff. So 2020, 2019, sorry, 2019, I am the match director for Area 1. Um, biggest match I've ever done. One of the largest area matches ever done, I believe. We had 485 shooters, um, which is, as I think, numerically up there in, in, in attendance. Mm -hmm. match um, took basically six months of my, of my year um, to, to organize it, run it, put it together, did it, had a blast, did a great job. This is area one, 2019. And after I was done with the match ended end of July, I was like, whew, all right, time to move on to something else. And I decided to start practicing again. My kids were old enough. I, I had discretionary time. The big match was over. It was always on my bucket list to, to do a level three match. And then I started practicing again. And it was, that was July. So September I made grandmaster. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you feel at that time where you kind of, you know, you were just live firing and probably shooting matches? Did you, you were, were you progressing and making the gains towards Grandmaster, or did you like just flatline it that ninety percent, well, that eighty-five percent? I, I, I'd say I was pretty flatlined. I might have ticked up a couple, like, like numerically maybe a percent or two during those mm -hmm. years, but actual skill development, um, like I said, maybe one or two percent increase kind of thing right yeah. and then you finally um hit grandmaster which is awesome i mean any grandmaster is top of the tier in my book because it takes a lot of dedication and skill to get there you know it's it's a long process and i think everyone has the admiration of becoming a grandmaster if they've competed or whatnot it might not be their initial goal to jump and say i'm gonna start from a d-class shooter and go all the way to grandmaster but it's definitely along the progression and some people they're there for just the fun, and I I respect that too. But totally, how did um, you're not the area coordinator director, but you 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 were the match director for Area One. How did that go about? Did you just get selected because you run a lot of good matches at your club, or did you volunteer, or someone point some fingers at you and say Mark gets to do it? Now in our section, in our section, I don't know if this if it works this way in all the other areas. Um, but every year at Area 1, all the section coordinators get together because, um, I don't know, there's like 10 or 15 sections in an area. Mm -hmm. And um, all the section coordinators, um, which are the, so, you know, local clubs, 
mm-hmm. they're all part of a section. The sections have, have a section coordinator, and they're all part of an area. So every year at, the, at our area one match, the section coordinators get together along with the area director, and they make a bunch of decisions, one being who's hosting area one next year. So I had to go and submit a bid, uh, basically sell you know, what kind of job we could do, the quality of the range, quality of the area, all that stuff. Basically like a business proposal. And um, the first year I did that, I did not get chosen. Um, second year we did it, I did get chosen. And so we ran it. And as far as I'm concerned, um, crushed the match. Did, did an awesome job. So, Yeah. Um, was there, what particularly was hard about being the match director for a level three? Oh, the the number of tasks and things to keep track of and to be aware of and to do is just massive, especially on the scale we did. I mean, um, you know, uh, you know, four hundred eighty-five shooters, say four hundred actual shooters, eighty-five. There was seventy-five or eighty staff people that were under me, um, so they all required compensation and hotel rooms and logistics and all that stuff. But four hundred people paying people times. You know, our entry fee was hundred was two hundred and thirty five dollars, something like that. I mean, you do the math. It, it's 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 getting to be big money for overall mm-hmm. budget. You know, um, you know, coordinating with sponsors, coordinating, you know, even getting the porta potties and the food vendors out there, and you know, all the stage designs and the setup crew, and you know, all the materials. It's 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 a lot of stuff. Right. Did you now? Did you? Did you multitask and get people to help coordinate sp- under things underneath you, or did you really put that whole burden on yourself? No, um, I had people who who did the job, um, certain things specifically. Um, but so so I, I can delegate well. I, I can delegate. I have no problem delegating. But certain things that I, I do, it, it's it's kind of thing where I it's just I might as well just do it myself. Right. Kind of thing. I mean, it's I'm I kind of agree with you. I'm kind of more of a mental management i'm a driver mm-hmm. my, that's my personality i am not okay with ha- handing things <laughs> off pretty much i'm just like let me do it and i'll be let, just let me get it done so yeah I, so so for example i i did all the tech and all the scoring all, okay. all the because i'm i'm the best person i know to, who, who could do that so i said i'll just i might as well just do it fair enough and i and sometimes it's just like let me deal with it you probably know your setup because you probably mm-hmm. was this this was at your home club were you able to host it there yes. Jeff? okay yeah. You knew the lay of the land, you knew everything, you knew all exactly. the tablets. And... Yep. Yep. And I did, I did, um, I did, as far as I know, um, was one of the first clubs, definitely one of the, the first major to, to use Bluetooth printers for that match, um, which is a whole new deal. Um, and we... uh, on the bays, there was the blue, the printer for the, for the receipt. Yep. Yep. You shoot this, you shoot the, shoot the stage, um, RO hits accept and a little, uh, receipt prints out with your with your score and your hit factor and the shooter gets one for every stage oh, that's, that's pretty cool did now yeah. did you have ice water on all the bays like matt hopkins likes to talk about not ice just normal water just normal water <laughs> <sighs> i i kind of hope he gets area three director hope he uh is he going this... for it i didn't know he's yes uh what he sure sure one's gonna finish this year so then 2022 when it comes up for a reelect for election Sherwin's not running so I hear Matt Hopkins and then someone else. So he's not going to run unopposed, but oh. I hear some, someone else is going to run. Didn't but know. yeah, I found that out a couple, maybe a week ago when he was on uh, another podcast that I listened to. That wasn't the Ben Steger podcast. Gotcha. Cool. I hope he wins. 
Me too. I, I would love to see some new blood in the board of directors. But um, so that's interesting. See, I've never talked to anyone who's like a, been a big level match director. Mm. I mean, I've talked to the guys who run a couple of my local clubs, and you know, it's already they stress me out enough when they talk about setting up a six stage match. Setting up a <laughs> level three match is hard enough. Um, oh. I I'm lucky enough to finally got my RO certification. Good. So I'm gonna I'm actually gonna start working some matches. I've signed up for two matches to work. I don't know due to ammo constraints and components, I might not shoot both of them, but I might still uh I still will work them. I mean more It's a great experience. Are they majors? At least level twos? Yep, level twos, yep. One is great the Michigan we have the Michigan sectional and then we have the big charity match that happens called Ryan Rocks. Mm-hmm. Happens every year. Um that's actually the home club of a local range master instructor. So that's, he's the, uh, he's, he's going to be the range master for that. I'm assuming his name's Gary Johnson. I took the class from him. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an, it's a whole side of the sport that not many people get to be a, or are part of, you know, a lot of high end shooters, especially professional shooters and stuff, you know, they, they focus so much on the, on, on improving their skills going and, and, um, but there's a whole undercurrent of volunteers and good old good old boys who just want to help matches run just because for for love of the game. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, and there and it's 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 really cool. It's a lot. It's been a lot of fun to be part of that culture and know who the ROs here are, who the good ROs are, and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a ton of work. Um, a lot of competitors don't know how much work blood, sweat, and go into making these matches matches yeah and it definitely uh i do see that and even just taking the, the the level one seminar which i recommend everybody to go take it costs you maybe 50 to 60 you know time you're done even if you just get to drive there every day maybe 60 bucks for the two days but i think it's worth it because you kind of learn some of the ru- rules that you necessarily wouldn't look up in the rule book to know to make you a better competitor learn mm-hmm. the rules and oh yeah and like i didn't think i didn't even know there was such a rule stacking rules for oh Virginia yeah count. i'm like i wouldn't have known that when i shot my first class fire match oh my lord i just started i was like my second month into the game and i'm like i murdered some virginia count classifiers yeah 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 it's well that that little try to like if you try to shoot el prez and saying like instead of two on each i'll just shoot four on each and save time or something like that mm-hmm. uh, nope it's been tried before and rendered illegal and nope. you will be slammed crushed with penalties <laughs> yes that is true you all the penalties um but um running a match or running working as a staff member in a major match it's a great experience you do learn a lot about the sport that you wouldn't have known otherwise um and you get to see nuances of the rules like you know i mean do do a lot of shooters know what needs what their um what their options are if a call doesn't go their way do you know right. how to run how, how to file an arbitration if things get you know pretty dicey in in a match or um yeah stuff like that oh absolutely and it's just you learn the things you're allowed to get away with and i think mm-hmm. everyone then i see a lot of people on the range that ask can i do this can i do that you know to like the the more senior seasoned guys and like oh you might be able to but if you knew that if you took the time and you found out the rules you could really know what all your options were that's right and it's interesting i've been uh 
I'll save that for later. But anyway, it's uh, I, I honestly I'm doing it so I can watch other shooters more because when I'm there to shoot, I'm worried about my process. Like at a level, like a local match, my process is more important than watching other shooters. Even though my friends probably don't like it that I go and shoot the match with them. I've been shooting matches with them and on their squad from now. I'm not going to, I'll go to the match, but I might be on the other squad because I need to focus on myself and my shooting instead of hum chummy chumming around and not focusing on what I need to get done. If I want to make my goals and do what I need to do to succeed. And I, I kind of have to tell them that still, but they're, <laughs> if you're listening to those guys, I'm sorry, not sorry, but, I love my buddies I've met in the shooting community, but at some point you got to be like, I've got to figure it out for me. And mm-hmm. instead of being rude to them, it's just easier to not be on their squad and squad gotcha. with a bunch of strangers. Gotcha. Especially if they're the type of friends. And I do that in air quotes, air quote friends who, who like to, to help you do better on a stage by like, you know, like teasing you during your make ready or, or, or something like that on, on stage plans <laughs> yeah there's that or it's just that um they're very much more hobbyists than i am ah. they're they go to have fun which i totally accept and i want them to come and have fun but i personally put a little more effort into that than it just being for funsies <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's just how you have to some of you know there's the different levels of participation i find it at you know you've got the hobbyist the person who's working at it then the person above that who is really good at it, and then there's the top. So, and you try to, I try, I'm trying to make it to the top, but less about yeah. me, more about you. So you you are a grandmaster production shooter, but I saw on Instagram you dabbled in carry optics maybe a month or so ago. A month, for a month, yes. Yep. And I I did that. So um, and so so uh, so I would honestly here. I would say the moment I made Grandmaster, September 2019, I think, maybe October, something like that, was actually the beginning of my shooting uh, learning journey. Or, may, you know, may, maybe not even the halfway point. Just more and learned more about shooting since then than I ever have before. And a lot of that was, was meeting Steve Anderson. Um, I, I took his class in May 2020. And he kind of put together the pieces for me about mental game, how to practice, how to train. I had literally been stumbling my way through it for 10 years, just trying to get better, trying to, trying to, to, to do this, make this happen, force this to happen. My, my balance between my conscious and subconscious um, in state actual matches. And I would... Um, I ran, was running into a fair amount of frustration, performance frustration. I, but I, I'm my way on my own. But that was about, that was probably, my, um, it's funny. I, after, the, after I made Grandmaster, I went and shot a sectional championship here in Oregon, a local sectional championship level two match. And I, I was like, oh, I'm going to shoot this. I'm a Grandmaster. You know, I'm hot stuff now. I'm going to go crush this game. This. And I had probably one of the worst matches of my life. And I lost the match. I took third place behind like two. Um, um, so I was I was all kinds of a mess. 
And um, but yeah, all that to say, since then I've I've learned a lot. Um, and Steve Anderson has has kind of like focused me in on what I was uh, on on how to really make gains and how to improve. Um, and I forget what your question was. Sorry, it wasn't a question. It was more of a statement saying that you you're you know a GM shooter in production. You dabbled in the carry optics. That's right. That's right. So okay, that's to say. All to say, I did because I'm prep- uh, nationals is in May. It's gonna be the first nationals I've ever gone to production nationals, um, first time, and I want to break through some barriers. As as a person who shot iron sights for the most part over the last ten years, I had learned some things or developed some habits with iron sights that I think were perhaps slowing me down a little bit. You know, back when I was start when I started shooting, the the mantra was you have a hard front sight focus you pull your eyes all the way back to your front sight on every shot. Even in a three yard wide open paper target, bring your eyes back. You wanna see those serrations on that front sight. And I always had a hard time doing that, but I was always trying. And I've developed a habit of bringing my eyes back all the time, which I think is slow. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I dry fired exclusively January and February this year with, a, with an optic, um, taping up the, the, the lens, the window, so that I could force myself to have a target, purely target-focused, um, you know, engagement on targets, and I think it worked. I think it worked because now this week was the first week that I, I switched back to irons, and I'm able to keep my eyes hard-focused on the target and bring it back slightly, vary my eye, my vision slightly back to my, you know, you know, like flutter it in back and forth to my front sight or partially towards my front sight as needed. So. More of an observance of the wobble or the fuzz back here, it, like your eye. You know, your irons are still really fuzzy when you're hard focused on the target, and you kind of glance back. You're kind of like zooming out to see that. Okay, I'm still lined up, kind of, and you know, but you're not hard focusing on the front sight. Correct. Yeah. Um, mechanically focused. My eyes are mechanically focused on the target, but I see observe the alignment of my sights through my peripheral vision. Right. Yep. I, I find that as well. When I pick up an iron sighted gun randomly, because I am a dot shooter, I 100% shoot dots. But when I pick up like one of my, my 1911 and 45, when I just pick it up and be like, I'm going to visualize this stage and shoot at low cap, you know, because you never do that. I never yeah. do that. But <laughs> I find that even just picking up the irons gun, it's like the target focus doesn't leave me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I try. I'm not the best at, I had a fr- another friend who is not very, who's very much a dot shooter, but he can't target focus on irons because he seems, and he's like, I'm just point shooting. I'm not, he can't, they can't observe the target. And I was, I tried to communicate it with him the best I could, but I couldn't make sense of what I was saying. Sometimes I know what I'm trying to say, or I know what I'm trying to give off to somebody, but I'm not the best at communicating it, especially something like that. I am so new to the i'm not super new but i'm new enough that i also don't feel i should be giving advice to a lot of shooters Mm. so that's why i bring on people from the industry to come give them advice but (laughs) i will go seek out knowledge wherever i can i mean i'm very fortunate that the power of the social media and the internet lets me communicate with everyone out there so i'm able to talk to steve i'm able to talk to you i'm able to talk to to garrett and jay um Tim Heron is a big, um, a big mentor of mine as well. And I'm just able to 
put the pieces of the pie together of the shooting and dabble like Tim Heron might be the crust, but Steve Anderson's that cherry filling in the middle. And, you know, Mark Sue might just be the sugar <laughs> on top of this pie. I mean, I got to make it in, I got to make it interesting and I'm kind of getting a little hungry. That's beside the point. But everyone, every, it's always time for pie, guys. Just, no, it's pie time every time. Well, to your friend, I will say it is possible to have a target focused, um, your eyes focused on the target and make sure your eyes, your sights are aligned through your peripheral vision. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now that we're talking about irons and dots, um, I'm a, you're a CZ guy, I'm correct? Correct. So I'm assuming it's a Shadow 2 as your production gun. Now, what gun did you use for your carry optics? Also a Shadow 2. Okay, so was a did you mill it or did you find an optics ready shadow too? That's like a unobtainium right now. No, no, no. I mean, there it costs more to buy one of those than to buy a shadow and mill it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, no, I, I bought a, I bought a uh, shadow two and had it milled for my optic. Okay, so does that mean okay? But do you still have a backup iron sighted gun? So you have two iron sighted guns then, or just I have three. I have three shadow twos. One okay. for production. One for carry optics, and one that does have a plate system on it that can go irons or optics. Okay, cool. That's good then. At least then you have two backup. Gu- you have a backup gun for either division, no matter what. Yeah, that's good. Um, I know you said you're going to shoot low cap mats in March, uh, in May, Mother's Day weekend. Praise the mothers. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike Foley. That was the I don't know. Like you're going to one women shooters' participation are going to be down because they're with their moms or they are moms. And two, the women are going to be mad that all their men left them for Mother's Day to go shoot nationals. But hopefully they have enough brownie points. I'm not lucky enough, nor do I shoot low cap. So Um, (laughs) what? And you said this is your first nationals, which is we're going to have to you're going to have to I'm going to have to ask you after you get back from nationals how the experience was. So we might have to bring you back on and talk about that. Um, What are some hurdles? um that you not hurdles but what are you kind of anticipating with nationals maybe for pressure and something new that you're gonna have to face maybe like as far as shooting challenges go um or even the uh, mental side like of shooting nationals mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the mental side is going to be big um like so, so for that during that downtime that I talked about the those the the doldrum years, two thousand fifteen to two thousand nineteen, I probably did not shoot any, maybe one or two matches that were not my matches. Uh, so I did no traveling, I did no no local matches outside my my immediate area. I did no majors other than my own. Um, so I actually had fairly, I actually have fairly little major match experience. I've only been to three area matches. I think in my life, one of which, which was the one that I ran. <laughs> um, so, so I know knowing me mentally, there's going, um, and I have, I do have what you call training scars. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have 10 years worth of trying to apply conscious effort to generate increased performance in matches. Right. And that is definitely not the way to go. It's a it's a guaranteed formula to frustration and um, inconsistent stage performance, all right. And your overall your average um, your end result average for the match being under what your skill level is, mm-hmm. right. 
if you try to apply your conscious uh, mind to your performance, and it could be something as subtle as I just want to, I just want to make sure that I, I, I transition my eyes better this match, or I want to make sure that I run hard, you know, between positions this match. Any found that I apply to all right results in a sub skill level performance, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it can, it's, it, yeah, yeah, it can be, it's, it can be really nuanced, but anyway, um, so, so I'm anticipating having to, to try to apply my mental process, my new mental process that I have now, um, and have it just be ironclad for nationals because the old training scars are going to want us to seep in and they're going to say, you know, look at all these guys, they're going faster than you, or look at all these guys, you know, they're more accurate than you, you know, oh man, look, did you see that guy? He just crushed that stage. You know, I'm going to say, I can, I can go faster than that, or I can do that. You know, or I can, I can take that risky activator sequence just like that. And that's, and that's going to be going through my mind. Cause that's what my 10 years of, of, of USPSA before Steve Anderson was like. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I am very lucky. I was smart and I jumped on the Steve mental game early. Yes. I've only been competing since September of 2019. I've kind of been in the sport since May of 2019. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. No, October the October of 2019 started in okay. September of 2020. My years are all mixed up because we're in a new year, so it's. Mm-hmm. But um, because I've been following the sport, I was gonna plan it starting in May, but didn't you know COVID ammo you know yep. long yards yep. didn't start till September. But then I was like, I'm gonna jump on the Steve train and take metal management. I didn't do that until January this year, but I feel so much more zen at a match now mm-hmm. because I have I've been put down the right path early enough. I don't have a lot of bad scars. And if any, I only have like a month of bad scars from competing. And mm-hmm. it's kind of why I want to step away from my match friends at locals and be like, I need to worry about my process. I can't have you trying to push me or I mean pressure and pushing someone is is a good thing to have is pressure, but if it takes away from my mental process to compete at a high level or where I think I believe I should be at, I need to eliminate that variable. And the mental game, I think, and you probably agree too, is the one of the biggest things someone can do to change their shooting. And it might unlo- it like it might unlock the doors mm-hmm. for the next level of uh, skill. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the lowest hanging fruit. Um, cause you could be the, you could have the best skill set in the world, but if you're crashing and burning on stages because you're, you're trying too hard, you're trying, you're trying to go fast. You're trying to be more accurate at the same time, right? You're trying to win. If you're crashing, then, you know, you're perform- you're not deploying your actual skill level at the match. So all your, all your skill set doesn't matter. Yes. The yeah. over trying and the under trying does not yep. get you a peak performance. And let me tell you, I like, um, like I said, all, none, none, of, none of this stuff was like Steve hadn't wasn't doing mental management back when right. I started. I, I have literally spent hours and hours and hours. I remember over the years sitting with my train with my my shooting buddies saying, how do we get our actual skill level to show up at the match? You know, even just 85, even just 90 percent of our skill level, 85, 90 percent of our skill level to actually show up at the match. And we couldn't figure out how to do it, you know, Um but now we do. Now, now I know. <laughs> right. And it's impeccable to be able to implement 
100% of subconscious skill at a match. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't want to give, I'm not going to give away all the sauce, but honestly, guys, go out and take mental management. Go take it with, go hit Steve at Steve at AndersonShooting.com. Go tell him, I want mental management. It's going to be the best money mm-hmm. I think you spend for your shooting that's not for ammo right now. I mean, you're not going to be able to find ammo anyway. So go invested in something that honestly has impact, impacted my life well enough that it's made my personal life better. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. I mean, if the fact that you can then take the st- you know the things out of mental management to make your life easier, more effective, more efficient, and better. But um, so we got so we got nationals coming up. You're gonna have to overcome your some training scars and mm-hmm. follow your mental process. Um. Now, who's I was talking to Jay about this, about how he was visualizing world shoot 2017 world shoot Mm. to know what the bays look like and visualize that the stages it was it's quite an interesting thing he was doing but jay is another beast of an you know a competitor and he comes up with the coolest stuff i mean i would who have thought to visualize off of someone else's match video to figure out what the bays look like what the stages look like to then put yourself, replace the person, and put yourself in, and then shoot it however you wanted to. <laughs> no, that is that is great. That is great. I haven't done that. Um, I actually I plan to go and look up some videos in, of what the Talladega range is like, uh, but I have not done it yet. Mm-hmm. No, no. And a I, lot of my pre. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go right ahead. No, a lot of my pre-match visualization has been in. Um, preparing myself to, to all, all the variety of emotions and experiences that I'm going to face. So I imagine myself showing up at the match stage one, and I imagine myself being nervous, like deathly nervous. Right. And then I imagine myself applying the mental process. I, I can't see the state, the, the stage. I can't see the bays because I, I don't know what they look like, but I can, I know what that feeling is like. So I imagine myself working through my process, you know, so, so that's, so like something like that, or I imagine it's like, I'm squatted with a bunch of other grandmasters and masters and stuff. Okay. So I imagine being in a squad where the people around me are crushing it, are just laying down hellfire on the stage and burning everything down. Right. So I imagine that and I imagine their runs and I imagine them doing things that are just amazing. Right. Okay, great. And I met, and I, I'm, I'm imagining using those things, their positives to be positives for myself as well. Cause my natural tendency is the opposite. My natural tendency is to try harder and feel bad because someone else on the stage is, is crushing it and I'm not, you know, something like that. So I'm pre visualizing all the negatives that I might encounter so that I can, um, if they, if, and when they do pop up, right. Um, I'll be like, no, I know what this feels like. And this is how I handle it. This is my process. This is how I stay within myself. I stay, I stay grounded and I keep, um, keep on my game. Absolutely. And it'll be in I like I said, I don't know what that major match pressure is yet. I haven't felt that. But I when I come up to a match, I don't it's it's interesting because I competitively swam for four years in high school. Mm. So I know what that pressure of right before the go button is. Um or that it doesn't bother me. Like I I go up to get get told to make ready. You know how everyone says the buzzer goes off and the stage plane goes out the window and they forget everything? Oh no. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm calm, cool, and cute. Cool's a cucumber when it comes to, all right, let's do this. I'm ready to go. I've good. It's just one of those things of like being 
I'll relate it back to competitive swimming. If you're on that block, you're in the position ready to jump. Any noise you hear or see, you're going to go on. And then the worst part is mm-hmm. if someone who can't stay cool, because you're on like a line of eight. There's a line of eight swimmers. And if someone can't stay still for the signal, you all have to stand back up and then it like shakes everybody. And th- that's always mm-hmm. the worst when you have the, you got a rest like a restart. Especially when you're all tuned up, yeah. you've given yourself the, the go, you've given yourself the focus phrase and you're like, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then you can't. It's... I wish, I wish, honestly, I had the mental game back when I was competitively swimming. I would have actually, instead of been a middle of the pack swimmer, I would have been a top competitor in swimming. No, for sure. For sure. Have you seen the Michael Phelps ad, his Under Armour ad? No, is it new? I have, if it's new, then no. I'll send you a link to it. It's incredible. It's only 30 seconds long, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so here's, and I, I sent it to, to Steve, Jay, and Gaz when I saw it on TV. Um, he's, uh, I'll, I'll try to quote it off the top of my head. Um, he's, he's like, the worst things that given, mm-hmm. you miss your turn. Imagine your goggles fall off, right? Then imagine yourself powering through it and, and, and winning anyway, so or something like that. And then, and that's, the, and that's the end of the ad, but it's all this Michael Phelps stuff, but it shows a snippet of his, of his mental um, process, right? And I was like, so here's someone who is the most dominant figure in the history of his sport, right? And this, and he uses the same mental process that we're applying to shooting now. So that was a great confirmation for me. It's like, okay, this is awesome. This stuff actually works. It does. And when you, honestly, when you start taking, when we start taking practical shooting like a sport and giving it like sport-like attitudes, we might, like we micro drill now, you know, we break down things like the draw, we break it down into micro drills, or we break this array down into a micro drill, like regular professional sports. You know, you're not always running with the football in hand, or you're not always dribbling when you're going for a layup, you know. We break it down now. And if when we put the mental game into it and actually treat it like athletes and it yep. finally becomes the pinnacle that it can be. Yep. No, um, I agree. agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so now I lost my train of thought, but it's okay because we're gonna keep on rolling. That's how we go around here. Um go for it. So you t- I'll bounce back to you. Met you took Steve's class in early of 2020. Yep. How did taking Steve's class from there, you get on the Anderson shooting team? <laughs> That's a good question. So, um, let's see. What did I do in the class? Um, I was already a grandmaster, and um, I did it. And so, I mean, I I buck, buckled. I bucked against some of the things Steve said fairly hard. I think he mentioned it in his podcast for several months after that. I had this shooter and he didn't believe me when I said this and I showed him what it was. That was all me. Um, (laughs) uh, But um, I was able to do some things in the class that kind of impressed him. Um, So I I just, I just, I just caught his, I think I caught his eye. Like, like I've always been able to, I I have, I have a, a couple party tricks, things that I can do so I can shoot really fast splits um so you know um he says in the class he's trying to teach us speed mode he's like okay we're just gonna do uh, the build drill in speed mode right and uh, one of the other guys says what's a fast build drill he's like ah oh, 1.6 is a fast build drill and if you can do a 1.6 right 
right? And this, um, he's like, one uh, the fastest build drill Steve says I've ever seen is like, I don't know, one four five or something like that. I'm like, okay, well, all right. Um, so um, you know, he comes up to me. He just goes on the line saying, you know, speed mode, go dump dump rounds into the target. You know, if you have a delta, you have a delta. That kind of stuff. He's teaching us speed, but he's trying to teach us to get off the gun, off the the buzzer quicker, to get the gun on target faster and or sooner, and deploy the rounds, right? So I rattle off like a one four or something like that, um, and he's like, "What? What was that?" And I think I, I think this is on my Instagram page. It's one as my actually my first Instagram video. I said I can do it faster than that. He says, "Show me." So I, so I, I said, "Can I step forward a yard?" He's like, "Yeah." So I go up to like the six yard line, and um, and I actually had to apply the first the first run. It's not on video. Um, the first run, I actually trigger froze. I went up, shot two rounds, and trigger froze. But I but he's but he had actually just talked about trigger freeze, and he says, "Oh, this is what you do." It's like that's right. You go there. Um, if, you, if you've taken his class, I don't know if 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 he told you his secret. You, you, maybe I shouldn't say it. Not yet. <laughs> I haven't taken a in person Steve class yet. That's the goal when ammo becomes available. Okay, so he has he has he has a, a subtle little technique on how to just increase your body's actual physical relaxation. Um, I, I, maybe he's men mentioned on the podcast, but I know he talks about it in class. So I do that, right? And then beat goes off. And I, don't know, I do like a 128 or 129 build drill, um, all into target, maybe a Charlie on it. And that was, that was, that kind of stuck in his mind. And I think I had to turn and draw on a stage later that was really fast. Uh, oh, he talked about it on the Anderson Insider. Um, so, so he, he's, he, he mentioned it offhand. And I knew Jay. I had, I knew Jay because, the, a couple of months before that, Jay and I had both shot, um, uh, what's his face? The, the postal, his postal match. Oh, Bill Duda's uh, Go Fast, Don't Suck. No, 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 um, not, not Bill Duda. Um, oh, geez, what's the Steel Challenge guy? Uh, he, he, he runs oh. short round supply. Oh, BJ, BJ Norris, BJ, right? BJ, BJ had a postal match in December that year. Um, and Jay took first place, and I took second place. And that's kind of how I met Jay. Um, so Jay and I had been texting a little bit and and chatting. And so um, when I'm taking the Steve Anderson class, I'm saying, oh, hey, Jay knows you. He's like, yeah, I know Jay. And I knew nothing about Steve Anderson back then. I didn't even know he had a team. Okay. Um, so he's texting Jay during the match saying, hey, Mark Sue knows you. And Mark Sue just shot this bill drill, you know, and, and Mark Sue did this. And, 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 and you know, so we're, we're, I'm having Jay and I are having a chat through Steve. So, that, so some of that, that camaraderie, that relationship had just started there. But then after the match was over, um, um, after class was over, he says, you know, you know, well, let's see how, where things go. So I said, all right, um, over the course of the next few months, this is uh, June, July next year, I, I emailed him a couple times, letting him know how uh, match mode was changing my life. Like I was able the next couple of months to have some of the best matches of my life just from switching mat into match mode. And actually having my subconscious skill level come, you know, come out. So that same match that I shot in 2019 when I made Grandmaster, and I shot terribly, and I lost to two A-class shooters, right? I come back the next year in match mode, just pure match mode, and my subconscious skill level comes out, and I dominate the match. Um, like all those same shooters, and plus plus other guys, it, it, I, I, you know, I won it by like over 10%. Um, just just from match mode. So I, so I do those things. I think what really what uh, what really happened was I I did really well in July or August in the Terran Tactical Grandmaster Challenge. I don't know if you saw that on Instagram. Um, Terran Taren Butler goes online and says, you know, here's this thing that I can do, and he he puts up two steel targets and gets two shots on each of them. So 
four rounds in under a second. Right? He says, here's that's a contest. Post a video of you doing it, and the winner gets a thousand bucks, second place gets five hundred bucks, and third gets two fifty. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So and I, I didn't even notice it, but at the end of the week, like the the like on day six, um Bob Vogel posted a video. He was the first one to actually do it. And he posted the video and he says, like, it took me a long time to do it. I'm embarrassed to say how many tries it took me, but I did it. All right. He so draw four rounds targets in under one second. Right. So I'm like, so I saw that video on day six and I'm like, hold on a second. I can do that. Right. So I, I, t- I literally took my eight year old kid that day and drove out to the range and stepped. Sorry, I had, um, I, I shot this, this, um, this video. It's, on, it's also on my Instagram page and I posted it online. And then, um, Taryn said, all right, so we've only had two people do it. So I'm going to extend it out one more week. Um, the, the entry. So, you know, Taryn has a pretty wide audience on, on Instagram, pretty big audience. And then I think at the end of the week, only one other person had done it. And I ended up taking second place behind Bob Vogel in the Taryn, Taryn Butler, you know, grandmaster challenge, which is funny because I didn't know he was going to grade it on time. Bob Vogel did it on a, in a 0.94 of a second. I did it in 0.95 and I know I could have done it faster if I, <laughs> if I knew it was going to go. Outside. But, um, but that caught Steve's eye. I think Steve was like, Whoa, that's really cool. And I got a phone call like the next week. So, <laughs> wow that that's an interesting story and now this grandmaster challenge was that set full index four rounds on two each um, this... any way you can do it okay so taryn did it from the hip because he can do a 0.4 draw from the hip but your splits are slower right right if he does it, does it from the hip um one hand he did strong hand only from the hip um the rest of us um, myself included did it from a draw um i had the slowest draw of all three people who did it I had a 0.5 second draw on the first shot. Bob Vogel had like a four or five, something absurd. And the other guy had a five zero, right? But I split the fastest. And that's kind of what made it stand out because I, I can shoot 10 and 11 splits um, and transitions. Um, so I, I, that's how I got my time. Wow. That's spicy. <laughs> that's spicy. So that's interesting. And I'm deathly afraid of you splitting. <laughs> especially but those those shadow it's, twos those they, they have a good they're pretty good uh, yeah, yeah the reset is nice but uh, dude it's it's it does nothing for uspsa it's completely a party trick <laughs> oh yeah but hey i mean zero, zero tactical second, and tactical value <laughs> right but it's totally it's a totally it's like one of those resume cards yeah split like a beast to check there you go yeah <laughs> um, i know that, and this is kind of off topic, but I want to kind of go and talk about the rule changes real quick with you since oh, sure. it was right after that happened. Sure. I'm a high cap guy. You're a low cap guy. I need to hear from the production shooter what you think of what they did. And uh, we'll take it like piece by piece because there's a couple different parts to it. And, yeah. you know, to allow the one thing you had to add X, Y, and Z to get that. So okay. now. I agree with this. I'm assuming you might agree with this. AID, AIWB is a good thing for the sport and yes. carry optics and production. Gets more yes, participation. Yep. And allowing that means gear can be anywhere now. Yes. What's your thought? You know, I mean, you're probably going to like it because your mags aren't behind your right butt cheek anymore. I mean, 
I mean, I like it, but what is your thought? Are you going to move things up? Or are you going to kind of leave things where the same because you've got so much myelin of going to that index, you know, those mag pouches? It's funny. I was actually just um, just talking about that today with one of the guys I match who is one of the top range masters in the country. He's actually one of the range master instructors, a very, very elite group um, in, in the NROI. And we were talking about the, the nuances of the rule and what that meant. And, and so, so, um, so it was fun. That was what everyone was talking about today. I personally think it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, geez, now I'm going to start practicing reloads from a different spot and undo however many tens of multiple tens of thousands of reloads I have from, from the side. But I don't think it matters. Um, I mean, maybe you stand to gain what? A couple hundredths on the reload by by shifting it a couple inches forward to your mm-hmm. uh, to uh, on to your to your know, your appendix or your your belly button. I don't know where where you put the mag. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like it because it makes all those guys out there who are who are carrying in you know in a T Rex sidecar, you know, who are carrying their their Glock 17 with an RMR on it and uh, a a Surefire on the front uh, in a T Rex sidecar. Now they can come to the match and shoot their rig. And and have fun, that's mm-hmm. great. That's great. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, and I think it's great because we're getting more people into the sport and less restrictive. And you're not getting bumped to open where you're then you're super, you know, you're not competitive at that point because you're running appendix with a red dot with a light. You're not major power factor is not a thing for you because you're shooting box nine millimeter. And Absolutely. And I like it because it will bring more people into the sport and you don't get people bumped to open for mag pouches or a little mm-hmm. too far forward of the hip bone. I moved my mag pouches just for the ease of the angle on my wrist, just slightly mm-hmm. forward. Cause I was on the edge of hip bone, you know, it was pretty comfortable, but even the slight inch and a half forward, it went makes mm-hmm. a difference. I'm developing shooter's elbow really bad. I know that because, <laughs> well, not just from just doing the reloads, but I'm, I hit it pretty hard. I do dry fire two days, maybe three days. Okay. Because I'm, I, all how Steve puts it, I have the rage to master. Good. And my elbow, like if I start practicing reloads, like after five minutes straight, my elbow starts to hurt. So mm-hmm. I need to do some Chad Riley's, what the heck, something yoga, whatever yeah. his blog is. But I need to do the exercises and get my, because I can really, it, it just, it's not fun. Well, what's, it's what's causing the elbow? Is, is it the reloads? Um, it, that's what really what it flares it up. Yeah. It's just usually that, ang- you know, the, it's that like the chicken wing kind of effect that you well, get. Don't when... reloads, then. But reloads, well, they're my low hanging. Fr- well, they're not low hanging, but I, en- it's, it's weird. I enjoy you doing reloads. Ah, yeah. I mean, everyone, everyone comes up and does reloads, but you're, you carry on times a match. <laughs> Right, I only got to I only got to do it six times in a match. Like it's a six stage match. I'm only reloading one, well, once per stage. But I don't know. I enjoy reloads for the most part. It's odd because you don't need to worry about it as much as like a production shooter who has to reload three times. Yeah, a stage. Yeah, but it's interesting to watch match video of a production shooter because you understand the problems of low cap. And having to blend positions and get a mm-hmm. reload on the move, don't want to do a standing reload. And I find that matches are tending more towards the high cap guys because yep. in stage design is not 
like it should be. You know, there's the rules that say you can only have 16 rounds from this, you know, eight rounds from this array. What eight rounds for, for one location or view. Right. And so they give you that, but it's not it's very detrimental to single stack revolver um L10 and production because mm-hmm. sure there's your eight round array, but it's not convenient to then have to then figure out your reload and move on to the next position when the, re- the high cap guys like myself can just go, all right, there's eight rounds of moving on. Maybe I have to worry about the reload after the next position. But talked about the mags, talked about appendix. Oh, lights. What's your thought on the light? They have zero impact on on uh, any kind of performance increase so mm-hmm. why not let them have them yeah. right i mean it's like it's more for the barrier entry for the nukes people coming to the sport i don't personally think anyone at the top level is going to go get a weapon mounted light and put it on their gun and get a new holster made it's just i don't it, see it. it it becomes an option a way of adding a couple more ounces to the front of your gun if you want to change the balance point um, I mean, so so you know, on a, on a match director and a range master level, you know, there's always there's there's a there's a nuance to the rules that um, that most people will never encounter. So, so all going on about okay, well, how tightly can I focus the beam of my flashlight? Right? Mm-hmm. Can I can I make it a laser? <laughs> you know, right? Um, so I mean, so those are the things that the rules lawyers and stuff have to deal with, um, and in the game and, and i know those are conversations that are already being had amongst the rms because i was talking to an rm this morning <laughs> about right. it so but i mean practically speaking none of that matters in actual performance increase um so why not allow it I, i'm all for it but you wouldn't find yourself you you're not going to run out and go get a new holster and put a streamlighter at 300 on your gun because you don't see the point in it either oh absolutely not no no, but I might I might roll up in limited one day, rocking my you know my my bedside gun that does have a, a light on it and and all this other stuff just for the heck of it. So. Right, and that's that's the best part about it is you can. And yeah. what was the other? Oh, magnets. Eh? <laughs> I mean the 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 two times a year that you would actually use one, where mm-hmm. it saves you a second. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> right. I mean, I was one of those people. I bought I bought a magnet today, but that was more for the fact of I've wanted a magnet for make ready and unload and show clear. But due to the rules, you couldn't have a magnet or go to open because of when you put when you took the mag off or when you put the mag on the magnet. Mm-hmm. So, yep, it, it's more for laz- laziness so I can have a go. magnet. There you go. But and I bought them before they were sold out. Praise uh, the CR Speed Gods. Yeah, it was still there. <laughs> yeah, I have one because I shot open years ago. So I do have one on one of my belts somewhere. I got to go right. find it. Now, speaking of open, um, yeah. was it a who built your open gun? A friend, a local friend who, because, you know, I, I didn't have much money. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so we don't make much money. So I did everything I can do on the absolute cheapest. So he, but my friend who's, who, who dabbles in gunsmithing, who built my gun, and it works fine. He's an open shooter. It work, actually works works quite great, uh, but it's it, but th- you know this was before the age of of um, you know steel framed twenty elevens and all this stuff. So everything back then was STI because STI had all the patents on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so all polymer frame 2011s and uh, you know steel uh, uppers polymer grips i'll say and steel frame and, and slide gotcha um oh i know this has been floating around for a while but the rumor is 15 round production oh i haven't heard that one yet but hey geez, that's just okay. it's the running around the rumor mill i'll let you go first and then i'll go mm-hmm. see um i understand why because there are it's you're hard pressed to find a production gun that has less than 15 rounds in a mag nowadays um but as far as and an ipsic is 15 round production as far as the game goes though as far as the game like production and single stack have there's a flow and a and a purity to them you know mm-hmm. um and and how you approach things and how you have to reload so frequently and people who shoot those and then granted almost no one shoots them anymore like production though three years ago four years ago production limited and open were the three biggest attended or a participation you know um divisions i remember because I, I would run matches major matches and 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 the attendance in all three divisions would be always be fairly close to each other and then lower down you had you know single stack and and l10 and th- those kinds of things pcc hits the scene a few people bleed off from here and there carry optics hit the scene slow slow takeoff but then all of a sudden boom now production is right there with like limited 10 numbers and everyone and their mothers in carry optics right yeah, it's so yeah. So that being said, the people, but but um, that's locally and even, you know, at at larger local matches, and 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 state, you know, like, like sectional matches and stuff. Um, but you go to areas and you go to nationals, and all the heat is there, as much heat in production as in any division, possibly more. Mm-hmm. I think there might be as much or more in heat in production. Let me now that I think about it, because I think last year in production, I mean, JJ was there, Nils was there. I mean, Steger boycotted, but, um, and then you had the guys who, you know, you had Mason and Jacob who, who won the match and yeah, mm-hmm. as much heat, as much heat as any other division, but, um, but there's a purity to it. And once you go to 15 rounds, um, I mean, you're just five rounds off a limited gun and, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're eight rounds or seven rounds off of a carry optics gun. So. It, 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 you know, then all of a sudden, the only the only low cap division is is single stack or revolver, or I guess L ten. But yeah, who does that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I I kind of agree. There's the I'm not I've been been in the sport that long, but I agree. There's a purity to ten round production, and I understand there's there's the rule saying if your state only allows X amount of rounds, that's what you're limited to. So I mean, there's the rule to bump it up, and then if you're in communist states you get 10 rounds but yes i i kind of agree keep it i want to keep it at 10 rounds just for the purity of this of the division and because then it goes it takes half of it makes it a little bit easier i think on stage planning just a little bit because you can blend two positions then the reload or you know two and a half or but that's that's half the fun of or the difficulty and the challenge of production is these these arrays, these reloads, moving reloads. I think the production shooters have some of the best reloads or reload consistency because they got to do the hula hoop dance. They got to get the first mag, go to the second one, go to the third one. Well, it, I mean, it's it's more than that. It's a different kind of shooting. 
when you mm-hmm. have the ability to blend, so I mean, that's that, that's why I learned going from production to open and even in carry optics, it, you shoot, you engage the stage differently because you don't have to reload. You know, um, people would ask me, you know, when I was shooting open, um, and granted, I wasn't that great of an open shoot. I made master, but I was shooting the dot all wrong. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, w- I was bringing my vision back to the dot, and I know that. Um, if I had to do it, if I, if I ever go back to open, when I go back to open, I'll say, um, I'll shoot it much differently. But anyway, um, they asked me what the biggest difference is uh, in open. Like how many arrays, you know, when you break the stage down, um, are you shooting? I said, in open, there's one array. The whole stage is one array because you're, you, can, you can link everything up together because you never have to reload. In production, um, there's so much time taken up. And granted, you know, it's a fast reload happens in a step, a step or a step and a half, right? But still, there's so much time eaten up in the reload that you do have this hard break between between certain arrays, you know? So the whole thing is different. The, the, the way you approach it, the flow of it all, uh, it just feels different, you know? It and, does. And, I, and honestly, it's a lot of time. The, that's the reason why, you know, limited minor guys can can take stages and take seconds off a stage over over a production guy even though they're shooting you know the same the same caliber and and iron sights because you can link all these locations up together yeah and it's just like when we talked i think it was the florida section match you guys went broke that those stages down prior to mm-hmm. the match and the insiders which i highly recommend i'm an insider and it's fantastic yeah i mean but I like how they say plant key, uh, do it, Mark stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so, uh, um, as, let me, let me defend myself a little bit there. Um, the reason why I, I say that, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on stage plan, right. I'm not saying that I don't see all the games and tricks. I see all the games and tricks. Mm-hmm. I see all the, okay. I could shave a quarter of a second or a half a step here by doing this. Okay. Maybe by taking this around this spot here, all the gamer stuff I've been, I've been gaming stages for a long time, right? right? Mm-hmm. But what I found is that when you put all this stuff, hey, if I lean this way and t- kick off this way or do this on the move or, or something like, or, or whatever, right? Um, I take myself out of my natural skill, uh, skill level and comfort zone. It does not in- result in an increase of, of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan that, I, that you are more comfortable with, that you say, I can nail that. With my current skill level, I am perfectly, I'm 100% confident I can do that. This other plan, which might save me two steps, but uh, it means taking that, that one partial on a lean, you know, and I'm not sure about that. It, that's, a, that's an inferior plan, even if on the clock, it, you know, if you pace it out, it would be better. It's an inferior plan. The better plan is the one that you're comfortable with and, and can, uh, can, uh, you know, can, can execute confidently. Right. And it comes down to, you know, your subconscious skills and no, you know, having the confidence to know that you can execute that plan way better than the gamey plan any day. Yep. Absolutely. It just, it was funny how the three, the rest of the other three were picking on you, but that's, yeah. that's part of being a part of a team. They get to, they oh, get to totally. pick on you just a little bit. Oh, totally. <laughs> even, uh, even though Gaz is, uh, Ipsic and we all love him because he's Gaz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've moved on from that, um, I do have a couple of listener questions. Totally. One one of the listener questions says, "How has your training evolved through your evolution as a shooter?" I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but break it down just a real quick. You know, 
How has your training evolved through your evolution as a shooter? Okay. Um, so um, uh, I, I've been shooting a long time, so my, cha- my shooting has changed. My, my training has changed over the years. I would say that the way I'm training now, um, so I am, I am not a very methodical person. I'm also not a very disciplined person. I, I really admire people like Jay who can go there and, and practice this one thing over and over and over again just for the pure joy of getting it better. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, on in his Instagram a while, a couple months ago, Jay was practicing left hand only <laughs> reloads. Oh, yeah. Weak, what was like, it? Jay, weekend why? shooting, raw, like strong hand reload. That's what it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Weekend shooting. So you're shooting weekend only. Oh, no. I knew the the gun okay let's do it this way and he's actually there repping it down like like he's spending his dry fire session like all right i'm going to develop this technique i'm going to rep this thing down and get good at this right and and i saw i really admire and appreciate people's methodical nature in doing that Mm -hmm. right now i'm pretty competitive so i said okay i'm going to do it too so i I spent maybe 15 minutes just powering it clipped an instagram video and never touched it again (laughs) right (laughs) that's completely different reasons um, so I'm not very methodical or, or disciplined in my, in my, my, just my personality. So I have to, I have to practice differently. I have to do things that are fun and spontaneous. I found that if I write down a list of things that I'm going to practice, that I have to do, okay, I got to do this, you know, I'm going to do these three things. Say it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find some, you know? Um, so for me, I have to, I have to, so what I do is, um, I, I, I've really liked, and I've never done this before, before this, ever since I made Grandmaster, ever since I met Steve, I've been, I've been starting to practice this way, isolating out specific skills, like hard isolating. So I'm talking, I'm working transitions, right? Or something like that. Eliminate everything that I don't need. Um, I'll eliminate the trigger press. And I might even eliminate the gun, right? And just flick back and forth with my eyes, you know? Or if I'm working movement speed or exits and entries, right? I'm, I won't have targets on the wall. I won't have a gun in my hand. And I'm just focusing 100% of my attention on movement, right? Uh, on, on one aspect of movement. I, um, and anytime I'm drilling now, anytime I'm training, I focus on one thing, one, one, purely one thing. And I gauge success purely by that one thing. So if it's, get to you know if it's a reload okay on this reload i want to get a great index with my left hand on the magazine that's all i care about right beat you know timer goes off i grab it i get an awesome reload and i bork the thing and the mag goes flying across the room right um before you know that's a negative experience for me i'm like oh crap i suck blah 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 right but now i'm like no i accomplished my goal i got an awesome index right so that's a successful rep you know, so really, really, really micro isolating down to, to the, the bare minimum of what I'm trying to work on. Um, that's a massive change in how I used to practice before I used to tr- I used to try to do everything at the same time, faster, more accurate, perfect technique in the part time. You know, with also, you know, perfect sight pictures and centered on the A zone go. And, and that was and that's a recipe for never being able to actually do any of them. So. Yeah, micro isolating. I'd say that's that's how I practice now. Boom. That's the one thing you guys learned from that micro isolation. 
<laughs> just really down to the finest little detail. I think I have a video on my Instagram. So I so also do Instagram much except for like a person but but of me practice right um and I and um I wanted to learn because in her book Kita Kita Bussy uh, or however you say her name um she says most people don't know how to apply a hundred percent of themselves to movement right mm -hmm. we always have some kind of inhibitions like okay don't run your pure your fastest speed you're running just practically you know what you can do right like okay what does it feel like to as soon as I all right, so I'll just practice that. So I so I set up this little course in my in my living room, right? And it's all movement, and I just mimic put on a target six positions with several you know full on you know ten yard runs, and all in focus is running as hard as I can and stabilizing. And I think that's good practice. Mm -hmm. It is. I do. Keith yeah. is on the list. Done. <laughs> oh. But no, uh, yeah. Kita is definitely on. Uh, she's on my list. Steve's on my list because I want to get a Steve class and then mm -hmm. take Kita's class because movement is so big in the sport. Being efficient with your movement will then, you know, it's kind of like shaving seconds when instead of shaving tenths, you're able to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like that low hang. It's, I wouldn't even call it low hanging fruit, but it's definitely something that's very easily obtainable by learning how to move better. Um, yeah, so, yes, I want to take a key to class. Definitely, man. I do, too. I, I wanted to read her book, but then I'm like, that's a big book. That thing is like, that thing's like a pillow. <laughs> there's a lot of, it's, it, there's, the, the font is big and there's lots of pictures. Well, that's good, because my attention, <laughs> I, I lose my attention easily, but I think, like, that's like a college textbook book. Yeah, yeah. But um, now we're getting near the end of the show. I've got okay. a couple more questions. My favorite question, I steal this from another podcast because I like it so much. This comes from Scott Jedlinski's podcast. And what are things that people can either start doing or stop doing to get better? Okay, start doing or stop doing to get better. Um, start doing. If you're in, you're in. If, you're gonna, if you want to get better, then put in the time. Prioritize it, make it real. If you don't, you're, you're, you're going to get out of it what you put in. I'll put it that way. All right. Um, stop doing is stop trying to overshoot your skill level in matches. Um, everyone wants to go to a match and, and wants to not bomb the match, not underperform. But it's just as unfair to go in and want to overperform your actual skill level. All right. I'd say go to the match and have your goal be to shoot your game. Right. I don't want. So that's 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 actually my goal for nationals. I have no idea where I'm going to finish. Right. I don't know. I, I you know with the with the, the um. But my goal is to not overperform my skill level and not underperform it. Okay. I just want to go there and shoot my actual skill level and see where it ends up. So, yeah, those are two two answers to that. Right, and I can totally relate to both of those. You know, I there are people who I always, when I talk to them online, they're like, oh, I want to be, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And, but, so you tell them how you can get to X, Y, and Z, and they're like, oh, I don't have time. They're, or they're always making excuses to why they can't instead of, instead of why they can. 
Mm-hmm. And it just, it kind of turns you off to helping anybody at that point, because it's like, I'm giving, you know, you tell these people these things and they're like, when they make excuses, why not? Or why they can't try something. It just means they really just don't want it. And if you want it, you're going to do it. And I think a lot of people also, they have this mentality of hero or zero. I'm going to either hero it and get awesome, or I'm going to bomb this thing so bad, it's everyone's going to remember how bad it was. Yep, yep. Which is how I was for a long time, to be fair, to be honest. And a lot of people, that's the classification system for them. You know, they try so hard that they they fall flat on their face because... They either put too much emphasis into the classifier or not enough, um, uh, not, what is it? not enough uh, importance to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, granted, classifiers are kind of a game in and of, in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can. So this is just my opinion, okay? Because I've been in the sport, you know, for like a, like a while, and back when I, for most of my shooting career, so first seven or eight years getting classified was actually fine because the cl- there was a fairly um, – you could make it if you just shot your skill level throughout the years. But mm-hmm. in 2018 and 19, so they cranked it up, and then I think in 2020 or so, they cranked it up again. So um, I made – I made um, man, some of the classifiers I shot in 2019 would have been – I remember shooting one that would have been like 100% like three months earlier, but now it was like low master. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? Right. Um, I will say that I do think that for some divisions, all right, not carry optics, by the way, carry optics, you can, you're fine. But for some of the more established divisions, like um, production, this way as well, I'm not sure about open. I think I probably so in open, but production for sure. The, at the classifications on a lot of these, um, the classifiers, um, that the, you know the best shooters in the world are are probably not going in in match mode and shooting at the pace you have to get to to make a hundred percent. Now I'm just talking. This is purely subjective and opinion, but some of them are stinking high, mm-hmm. right? So when I met when I when I, basically when I made Grandmaster, I said, okay, I'm gonna gun these down, right? And and I I, I know that's. I think at some point that's what you have to do. I say carry optics is not that way because carry optics shares the same hit factors as production for the majority of classifiers. So yours is, I'd say, quite achievable just on on actual skill set, skill level. But some of these, I think Tim Herron says it too. Some of them have been worked so hard and so high that you have to actually go for them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like oh, can it does. you count? Yeah, on can you count? You know, five reload five. Um, the production <sighs> hit factor is is the same as the open hit factor. Right, yeah. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. Uh, I sh- right? Yeah, go, go for it. Or, or really close to the open hit factor, like within like like a tenth of a second or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of those at my first classifier match, and oh, procedurals all day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just forget the reload. <laughs> now, well, it was it was either that I forgot that it was five rounds. It was is one one string I forgot a reload where it needed to be, and then it was just like, oh my lord. It's just, but you learn because it was before metal. Ma- it was before the uh, match mode and uh, strat. I still mess up the four parts of match mode. I still for- mess up how they, which order they go in. But anal strat memvis. That's how I know. It. Yep. So, uh, so I don't so, like so, the first uh, word of that. Though. <laughs> it's like the worst. The fun, it's the most fun part. Uh, I it will is. say to you that if I had to do a shooting over again, 
I wouldn't have worried at, about classification at all. Mm-hmm. If I if I took myself now and planted myself back then, I said, who cares? Who cares mm-hmm. what you're classified? That means nothing except for to pat your ego. You know, right. how you end up in matches is is what matters. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, as I call it the mini game of USPSA. And it's not everything. I mean, mm-hmm. just treat it like a normal stage, you know. Do your process, yeah. go through it, and if you hit, you hit. If you, you know. Just as long as you follow your mental process and shoot to your sub level of subconscious skill, you're going to do fine. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, I, we know we're all, we know you're part of the Anderson shooting team. I think you're head of the math department of the shooting team, if I'm correct. Or technology or, the, or something. Technology or math. I don't know. Steve will have to let me know if he ever gets back Steve, to my Steve, emails. Steve does, does persuade to certain um, racial stereotypes, I'll say. Right. <laughs> So probably better than math, but all three of them, but in technology. But um, do you have any other sponsors, or who are your sponsors, so we can give them a shout out for supporting you? Um, um so so the biggest one that I've kind of grown up in the sport with is Springer Precision. Um, yeah, he's he's a local guy. I know Scott. You know, we're friends. And um, when when I was just getting into the sport, he was still running Springer Precision out of his garage, and we've kind of grown up in the sport together. He, he sponsored all and he's hooked me up with stuff when I need and I've I've sent all as many people his way for my matches as I could so Springer Precision is probably my uh, my my first and foremost and then after that um, I really didn't have anyone until I got on Steve Anderson's team and um, you know some of his guys have helped me out um, Jason at Targets USA has has really been helpful and at, you know we've we've talked about target design he likes that I'm a match director and can give him feedback about how his targets would work in, in matches and that kind of stuff. So he's awesome. Jason is awesome. And his products are, are like stupid high quality. Uh, so, so Jason and then um, AMG, uh, the timer, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great, great deal. Uh, awesome. I think definitely the best. Even if you don't use the Bluetooth feature, <laughs> it's the right. best timer out there. <laughs> it really is. Like just the fact that you can kick up the sensitivity and detect a dry fire click, right, is crazy. Or the fact that you can actually turn down the par time to to um, under 0.6, where all these other par times, uh, other other clocks, they they bottom out at 0.6 of a second. Just for those, it's the best timer. And then you have all the actual things on top of it. Um, and yeah, I think um, has anyone else sponsored me? That's I, I like I like Sig has actually helped me out with some optics, so that's pretty cool. So SIG is great. Yeah. Um, no Hunters HD Gold? No, I bought my own. Okay. <laughs> I bought my own a while ago. But I'm sure they would they 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 would um they would have sponsored me if I didn't have my own. I just haven't asked. I kind of think if anyone's got a jersey, their their logo on a, automatically goes on there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I paid for mine and I had to have prescriptions, but I love them. I can't yeah. wear them all the time. When I'm at a match though, they're the best. I'm yes. not a I need blue light. My whole house is lit with blue light light bulbs. Uh, uh, so I, if I put the Hunter's HD Gold on all day, and it's like my house looks like garbage because of <laughs> how the, all the rooms are painted and whatnot. It's it's because of the lighting. They, it's it's yeah, they are great. Actually, I will I will shout out to them because they've they've helped out my matches before, and I actually do have them on my jersey. They were really nice when I bought my glasses. So. Mm-hmm. Brian is Conley is one of the nice. I mean, I, behind Tim Heron and Travis Tomasi, I think. Brian Conley is the third nicest person in the shooting sports. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. 
But um, yep. Um, that was the very last. Him, but he's, he was awesome. Yes, yes. The, yes. Oh, Hunter's HD Gold, finest, finest things. But yes. where else can I? I saved this to the end because I didn't know this until I looked you up on YouTube, sir. Mm-hmm. You run a D&D game. You're a nerd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm oh, like, yeah. you're like, this is another reason why I like Mark. Because I love D&D. <laughs> I, I honestly, it's like, <laughs> the best thing ever. Yeah. And listening to the last show, I, I got halfway through it before I uh, had to get pulled away to other things. But it's funny. And I, I, I like uh, Dungeons and Dragons enough to, uh, uh-huh. I used to watch a lot of Critical Role. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm too far behind to worry about catching up. So I just kind of cut it oh, off. No, no, no. Pinched, no, pinched uh, it off. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I, I, no I, I love Dungeon Dragons. I love Critical Role. Um, although I'm not, I'm not current. I stopped right before the um, well, new characters. So um, I, I plan to binge it eventually. I don't like waiting for a week between sessions. No, I, I've, uh, so I don't know if you've, so yes, I do have a Dungeons Dragons campaign. I, I D and D game live every week with my friends, and I also one online. Then those I post. But I've been doing that game. I think I'm into 200 sessions right now. So over f- about five years that we've been going at it, and it's it's awesome. It's it's commu- It's communal storytelling is what Dungeons and Dragons is about. So yeah, no, I I mean shooting. Yeah, yeah. Shooting is is one of my hobbies. It's my main hobby, and I've I've this year I've sacrificed my other hobbies for it. Um, but I've perpetual uh, you know, in my in my past. I I usually get into a bunch of different things, get decent at them, and move on. Mm-hmm. Shooting is the first hobby that I've tried to actually push to the the limits of my ability. Um, and we're seeing how far it goes. Exactly. Yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons is also one of them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of the same way. I get a hobby, I move on. Yep. But I'll say, even though this one hasn't been that long, it's been the one that's stuck the longest. Unfortunately, COVID kind of killed my in-person game that I was running mm-hmm. because of everyone. I had some players who were afraid, and then we'll not get into that. But we just then when things kind of lightened up, lightened up a little bit, we kind of just didn't re-click back and say, "Hey, let's try it again." And unfortunate because I had people who were wanting. It's not that they didn't like the campaign; they didn't like the characters they made in the campaign. Mm. They realized that they just didn't like being those people for very that long. Mm. So, but yeah, real life games, it's hard to get longevity. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky now the guys I've been with have, have been together for, we've been together for, for quite a few years now, or probably into my second year running this game. Um, and everyone's, everyone's in the, in the habit and is committed now. But uh, before that, it's hard. It's hard to get people to stick through longer than like a couple months. Mm hmm. And we we were lucky. We would only do it once a month. We'd uh, they'd all come over to my house, and we'd play once a month for three hours on a Sunday night, and it was a good time. But when you have people who take it seriously, then there's the people who take it seriously, super seriously, and then the guy who's I'm gonna make the stupid like I don't care character. Mm-hmm. They kind of like the party dynamics don't really flow when you've got the tryhard, the the average trier, and then the guy who didn't try. Uh-huh. all trying to figure it out and especially in a not even that complex storyline <laughs> so so don't get me started on on dungeon dragons because i could have a whole nother podcast just on on being a dm and taking all the different personality types and working the game mechanics and the story flow and we could talk, have this whole about that on how to make the game intriguing for the players and that stuff <laughs> we could 
we might yeah. have to or we'll just have right. to sit down at one point and chit chat about it because totally totally yes but that's the end of the show guys i greatly appreciate you guys listening through um we're post these whenever i feel like it now because i've kind of blown past my record of two every other week i've decided to put a couple of every ever week and whatever but so guys, check it out. Manny Talk Shooting on any podcast format or on the YouTube channel, Manny Things, my YouTube channel. So check that out. Content are coming besides the podcast, and I greatly appreciate it. You can check out Mark Sue at um, on YouTube as Mark Sue or Mark TS7 on Instagram and look for videos. I'm assuming. I'm assuming he'll answer some questions because that's how I met uh, Mark is asking a random question and we started chit-chatting. So, guys, until next time, get out and do the things and have a good day. We'll catch you on the next one.